Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, halo, everybody, and welcome back to episode 57 of the Sacred Icon Podcast. We are back like a butt crack again. Can you believe it? It feels like it's been a minute, but we're back to talk more Halo 4 retrospective. I could not be more excited for this. Have so many notes, so many things to talk about, and I just can't wait to pick these guys' brains. But what guys am I talking about? First off, I'm Jovial Joshua Hargis. Joining me as always is Brian Bain, Mr. Brian Arvett, and coming back again is Mr. Alex Haruspis. Hello there, Alex. Hello there. Ah, mm. General Kenobi. <laughs> the, the stuff old one. We, We've we been really waiting need... for you. <laughs> oh, chills, man! I man. love it. We really need to sell on the Sacred Icon, like Etsy store, uh, uh, a Sacred Icon uh, bingo chart of words that get said all the time. <laughs> I'd love uh, that. You know, there's a. Yeah. Um, it's been a while. There's a. Thought it would uh, be cool, and it was cool. When Josh says, "Pick your brain," you know, "Hello there, General yeah. Kenobi." <laughs> Lovely theater of the mind. I noticed you started saying yeah. that one a lot, Josh. What's that? Theater of the mind. You've said I, I do say been... that a lot. I think I can't remember it's if it was expression. before we we talked to Alex or not. But I was after doing all the Dungeons and Dragons stuff I've done in the past year. I'm just like, man, that makes so much more sense now outside of just tabletop, even. Yeah. So well, Josh, take us off into this uh, where we left off for for Halo Four retrospective. Yeah. So guys, it's been uh, a while. It's been a while. Uh, last time we discussed this stuff, guys, we we covered uh, Ryan Payton sort of talking about how he was uh, the creative director, the narrative designer, and was there for a bit, and then one day kind of found out uh, he wasn't, and how that was for him and stuff like that as a sort of transitionatory period kind of went to Bungie to 343. So to kick things off with this, uh, I have another quote from him saying, some of the early ideas we had for Halo 4 are still represented in the final product. That being said, I definitely took the team on a wayward path towards something very different. The team ended up shipping something more traditional, which I think was a good move considering that this was the team's first Halo project together. For better or worse, Halo 4 feels like a sequel to Halo 3, and that's what I wanted to avoid. In fact, I wanted to change the game so much that we couldn't even call it Halo 4. There's a hint of that idea in Halo 4, but it's not obvious. If I could do it all over again, I would have fought hard to not make Halo 4 as it shipped, or this innovative, forward-thinking Halo game we dreamt up. I would have remade Halo Combat Evolved internally at 343 for Xbox 360 or Xbox One and made it a faithful, unbelievable, unbelievably beautiful, well-designed remake that would teach the team how to ship together, how to work within this engine, 
and how to earn respect from the fans. We should have done that before creating something wild and crazy. So, Alex, I'm going to kick things off to you. What's your take on this? Because this guy, it sounds like, really had something altogether entirely different in mind. Very interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, I think last episode we talked about the fan base reaction to Ryan Payton leaving, mm-hmm. which didn't have a lot of this context. So people were like, oh, he wants to make classic Halo and 343 have booted him out because they want to make their Halo. Whereas we see here in reality, it's the other way around completely. He wanted to do all these brand new things and uh, had all these interesting kind of, uh, as he says, forward thinking ideas for yeah. uh, evolving the sort of traditional core of the franchise into something completely different. And it would have been super interesting to see that. We, As he says, we have seen some kind of echoes of this uh, in both Halo 4 and Halo 5. So we know that the weapons down missions in Halo 5 were conceived by him for Halo 4. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. And I would imagine, this is speculation on my part, but stuff like the quick time events uh, in Halo 4 where you know in dawn the first mission you're climbing up the uh you know the interior kind of wreckage of it i imagine that kind of extra interactivity would have probably come from him as well i may be mistaken on that that might have just been a let's try and make you know instead of doing a cinematic let's have the player actually you know do this thing um, absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I, what do you think the fan what do you guys think the fan reaction would have been i mean it's hard to imagine you know <laughs> speculate on something that's different that we don't actually have but like yeah do you think if it was something just radically different that this seems to imply do you think people would have hated that even more still hated it just because it's it's different halo Gosh. not bungee halo or what i think like you know you look at 343's efforts to remain tr- as traditional as possible with halo 4 and it wasn't enough clearly for a for a large part of the audience so mm-hmm. i think it, it's hard to tell whether if they went even further if people would have been like, okay, yeah, no, I can accept it's completely different. Uh, might as well have a different like franchise name on it, but hey-ho. Or whether they would have been like, this is the worst thing ever. I hate this. I hate <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? Yeah, my impression, my personal impression is that I think he was very wrong on his approach. So I think it's good that he didn't get his way with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I've talked about this so many times, I think often when we criticize something where we're not people don't like to be nuanced because it not only does it require more effort but it it, it sometimes makes you feel like your own opinion is delegitimized we, i mean we just talked about this in the last episode um when halo 4 came out like i feel like halo 4 story and campaign was you know i, I say objective but obviously people can disagree with me but i feel like halo 4 story and campaign was objectively a good enough continuation of the Halo trilogy, mm-hmm. regardless of whether you liked it or not, or thought it was great or acceptable or bad. But I thought it was good enough. Mm. Um, and then, but the multiplayer, you know, really faltered on what that core base expected. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's one of those things where it's like the multiplayer kind of even, and I really enjoy Halo 4 multiplayer. Um, and I, I think both of you do as well yeah, to same, a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I think the multiplayer side kind of, kind of objectively failed and then the campaign was different. So a lot of times people just kind of clumped that up into one big ball and they're just like, Halo 4 sucks. You know, Halo 4 is bad. You know, I think we see that with Halo 5 as well. It's like Halo 5 kind of got the multiplayer really, uh, obviously you got your no sprint classic Halo crowd, which they're completely valid. But I think objectively, 
Halo 5's multiplayer is good. It reminds me of that video when, when the infinite gameplay reveal came out and this guy's watching it and as soon as he starts printing, he's like, no! <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's ridiculous. It's just, like, it's just like when I watch... Now, not going to go into this, but like when I saw all the, the Twitter videos of people crying and screaming no when, when uh, Ray kissed Kylo. Not even saying that was a good story decision. I'm just saying yelling and screaming in the theater uh, how much you hate it. Come on. It's kind of funny as well because uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, newcomers to the series with the you know with it all coming to PC, and there's a bunch of awesome people who have been going through the games for the first time, uh, all the way from Halo One all the way through Four, <laughs> and it's interesting to see their reactions in Halo Four when they learn that you can sprint as a base ability and they're like, yes, finally, oh, this is awesome. And you compare that to, you know, the kind of other vocal crowd that are out there like, this is terrible and uh, and I hate this. Well, calling, calling Sprint a trend is an absolute ridiculous statement. It's a staple of first-person shooters. Mm. You know what I mean? And I'm not even advocating that Halo needs to have Sprint. You know, I could be happy either way. I'm just saying, like, people are always like, I see this all the time, you know, Sprint's a trend that needs to die, whatever. Like, no, it's not really a trend. It's just a part of first-person shooting, like gaming. Like, it's... It's just Halo purists are stuck in that, you know. That's what I mean. But, but yeah. Ultimately, what I'm saying is, is I think uh, you said this is Peyton or what was his name? Right. Peyton, right? And Peyton. Um, I think, um, yeah. I don't think he was correct with that. I think Halo Four was a good way of like changing things up a bit, but staying true. But unfortunately, the multiplayer kind of dropped dropped it. I think this it got packaged as like a, you know, two different all together, and you kind of see that again with Halo Five. And what I think is really interesting is that. Um, with Halo Infinite, it very much kind of seems like, in a in a good way, but it, it kind of feels like they're just doing the same thing with Infinite. Like we don't, we haven't played Infinite, but we know at least, even especially from the most recent blog post, it's going to be you know you're on a Halo ring, you're fighting. I know they're the banished, but you're fighting Covenant, you're you're rescuing Marines, you know all that typical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of interesting how like. When three four three took over, it seemed they were like, "Let's continue Halo, but add our own spin on it." Mm. And now with Infinite, it seems more like, "Let's continue Halo." Kind of, kind of not put our own spin on it, but what's the word I'm looking for? It's like ex- expolate what kind of take what Bungie did, ex- kind of take what Bungie did, and kind of like expand it and blow it up and and add upon it. It just seems like a different approach now. Yeah, it's uh, when they refer to it as like a Halo game. Uh, what I think of it as is like the second mission of Halo One, you know, called Halo. It is a Halo game. It is that level sort of expanded across an entire campaign from the looks of it so yeah. far, which is kind of awesome because it's one of the best levels ever. <laughs> yes, still blows my mind to this day. Uh, wow. Uh, for you, just real quick to to chat you up, you know, about the recent update um, that they had out and stuff like that for. For Infinite, now you kind of see the community who's all like, it, everything seems right in the Halo community for the moment, for the most part, I feel like. And, <laughs> but then you had a lot of those people who were like, I don't like shaders and I don't like this. And now it seems like there's like, maybe I can come around to it. I mean, mm. do you think with this kind of stuff, I mean, it, it just really goes to show like how much we don't, as fans, don't really grasp this and we're so quick to cast judgment. Because I mean, even with the Ryan Payton thing, it's like, it's hard to wrap our brains around what could have been what might have been what we wanted and then what we got and stuff like that. And it just like, I mean, I I guess what I'm trying to say is I look at Halo four and it's like, this is a great game, but I feel like even if we were to do some kind of like 
Ebenezer Scrooge thing where we go see this alternate reality in which fans <laughs> get this, like his vision of what Halo 4 was, people would still be complaining. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like absolutely. You just, yeah. It's that, uh, as you said, the, the theater of the mind thing, uh, the yes. expression that you love. <laughs> because, uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of, as we saw with this latest blog post, it's kind of mitigated a bit when there's open sort of transparency on 343's side when they say, here is, you know, our thinking, here's how we arrived at this decision. Uh, you know, you guys may not agree with it, and that's absolutely fine, you know. But uh, these are the kind of necessities that we had for the, the tools that we've built on this engine. Uh, and here's how they intersect with sort of these other systems in the game. And here's really what we can offer you. It's not just a purely defensive kind of position. It's like we genuinely believe that we can move forward with this as a sort of positive kind of thing that, as they as they often bring up in the blog, is like healthy engagement with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to say until we actually play it, but uh, it's... I've seen from the reaction that a lot more people seem willing to be like, okay, no, let's see how this is when they sort of have that perspective from the death side about why they do what they do. Yeah. I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of important to remove like, like a selfish perspective in a sense, because I've seen people say, you know, well, if I have to pay for shaders, I would rather the multiplayer wasn't free and I just have Mm -hmm. to pay for the multiplayer. I understand that position. Because I think all three of us here would, don't mind to pay whatever it takes to just pay for the multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, it's kind of closed-minded when you think that way because it's like they're not they're not giving you they're not giving you personally the multiplayer for free because they think that's going to help you personally purchase the game. It's going to widen the scope of the accessibility of players that, that play the game mm-hmm. in a world where we have Fortnites and Apexes. Also, I think say. it's genius that they they put Chief in Fortnite because that's going to help. Oh, yeah kind of bridge that gap more. I mean, even if, you know, barring the discussion of Battle Royales, even if Halo just comes out with its typical multiplayer, but it can sit alongside those current day behemoths like Fortnite and Apex with this large suite of free play multiplayer and have that option to to make money from things like shaders, that's going to do a lot more to grow Halo as a franchise in 2020 than continuing to do the same thing they've done for 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And also, that got me into playing Fortnite yesterday. <laughs> I saw. I, I yeah. saw that. Downloaded the third, game. First, third or first try, right? Yeah, yeah. I, What's your I'm thoughts not on sure it? whether I was playing against bots or not. I might have been. I don't know because mm-hmm. I am unfamiliar with the game completely. Uh, it didn't feel. I, I felt like I was being hunted, although I did note that everyone was sort of missing their shots. So maybe that was. <laughs> maybe that was <laughs> the case. But it was good fun. I can definitely see the appeal of it. And uh, when I was a teacher, you know, I used to have kids come to me every day talking about Fortnite. It's like, oh, I got you know, uh, was playing with my friend on Fortnite the other day really exciting i very rarely had people come to me and say oh, i was playing halo you know the other night mm-hmm. and uh when you look at although at the time there was like two or three kids who came to me saying that they played halo reach together and i was like that game's 10 years old what are you doing playing halo reach? <laughs> yeah <laughs> um oh, but, that's great you know fortnite has a massive massive audience um for their live events you know i keep up to date with like seeing who's tuning in and it's tens of millions of people so the kind of brand awareness that gets brought about by these things by you know just bringing in the master chief how many more people are going to discover halo through that i mean i can't quantify that data but i imagine it's probably a lot 
Right. You think about you think about having Master Chief in there in this free to play game that has these microtransactions and how accessible that makes it for kids, pretty much anybody, to play it. And then you look at, like, imagine playing that as someone who's never played Halo, and they're like, okay, you see how you can, this is free to play? Well, you know, this Master Chief guy you see that's, like, here and you can get him now and play as him as a skin? Well, his game that's going to be coming out this time next year, that multiplayer is going to be free. You can play that, too, for free. Like, I mean, that's just, it's, you know, it's nice yeah. incentive. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's very smart. I, it, it seems like with Infinite, they have a, they have a really uh, firm direction on what they you know, a scope of what they want for the game and its longevity. Um, you know, I it, I know that none of us here are the grand scheme of things are, are that old at all. It's we can kind of start to tell. We can kind of start to tell why, you know, that, you know, everybody likes to use the term boomers. You understand why they think the way they do when you start to look at ourselves compared to newer generations. Like mm. for so many of us in this community, it's like, Halo is way better than Fortnite. I mean, it's like you got a deep story, characters, lore, books, comics, this multiplayer with this competitive engagement. And you just, it just seems like, why in the world are kids playing Fortnite and not, they don't care about Halo? Well, think about, I mean, this is a 20 year old franchise, you know? Like these, it's not the relevant thing anymore. Halo hasn't been this, like we talk about, you know, 2004, oh yeah, Halo was, you know, there's some of that that gets passed along to 343 as blame when it really shouldn't be, where like 2004 to 2007, Halo was just this behemoth king, you know? Well, I mean, even right after Halo 3 with like Call of Duty blowing up and, and other things coming out, like it's, that was an era of Halo that we're not really in anymore. Hmm. Um, so I just think it's like, Rather, rather than yell from our clouds that Halo is better than <laughs> Fortnite, it's better to say, you know, I don't know if, like, for me, yeah, Halo is way better than than Fortnite. But for a kid who's 10, 12 years old, growing up, who's played both, Fortnite might be a lot better than Halo. And that's okay. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing, is I think you look at the inverse of that and just how different it is for people like them playing that compared to people like us who have been in this franchise for so long. Fortnite's still relatively new, and you have them now seeing this Master Chief character from this long-running franchise. I mean, quite frankly, for me, who didn't grow up playing the Doom games, when Doom 2016 came out and it kind of reinvigorated the franchise, for me, that was very much, I think, what I hope is the experience for those kids who's like, okay, I wasn't really aware of Doom when it was like really in its heyday popular but now I keep seeing all this Doom Guy stuff pop up, and I'm like, I kind of want to see what that's all about. That's yeah. well said. I, I feel like Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal have definitely brought that franchise awareness to current day in the way mm -hmm. I hope Infinite does yeah. for Halo. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? And, like, to be sort of almost self-deprecating in a way, we don't matter as much. How often are we playing multiplayer these days? You know, We're not logging on for hours and hours to to uh you know get play that extra game i probably sit down for about an hour or so and play multiplayer these days i just don't have the time right uh, no i play the games that i want to play i don't have the time yeah uh, these it, kids it, they got the time they're the ones who are you know bulking up these populations on games so it makes sense obviously to um to you know play to them you know what's kind of crazy is I work at a hospital and just walking through the hospital more than one time i have heard a parent talking about buying V bucks for their kid. <laughs> like, not, they're not talking to me. They don't even know I'm there. I'm just walking by, and more than one time talking about. I remember a nurse on the phone once. She's like, "Do not let him get any more V bucks. We spent blah 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 blah, blah <laughs> on V bucks." Like, it's like, man, like they, 
Fortnite, you know, we knew it was raking in money, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, and in the sense that like, mom, I need the V butts. Give me the V butts. In the sense, it's kind of cool though, too, because it's like you know where I might have been like, mom, I really want this fifty, sixty dollar game. Yeah. You know, well, it's my Microsoft points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's smart for both Fortnite and parents in a way because like Fortnite, you know, a kid can be like, mom, I yeah, I really can I get I need six. I don't know how it works exactly, but I need six dollars worth of V bucks. Okay, a lot easier to convince your mom to let you get six dollars worth of V bucks than it is to buy a 50 60 dollar game no uh, but then it adds up and your parents probably end up spent 300 dollars a year you know? <laughs> definitely where did we and, go uh, wrong yeah. <laughs> uh but for me uh, closing thoughts on that one with with peyton uh i'm so happy we got the halo 4 we got like mm. it's easy for me to say like oh I, I wouldn't trade it because i love what we have i only know what we have i don't know what you know i don't really get to see his vision fully realized but you know i I wanted the chief. I'm biased, but I wanted that chief Cortana, like get to see their friendship kind of like be taken to another level. However, they wanted to do that. And I just wanted to see that expanded. And I got that. So even though there's certain other aspects of Halo 4 that's taken me time to come around to, I'm like, I, I, t- I think of that specific facet and just the layers we get with chief. And I'm like, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So it's not to mm-hmm. poo poo on Ryan. Like, obviously, like I respect that he had a vision and he wanted to do something, but yeah, I think there's something to be said about the developers, I think, should very much just make the games that they want to make. Like, by all means, keep an eye on what people are saying about your product and stuff, but make the game you want to make if you can, because yeah. you have all these old, like if we're like Brian said, if we're like the boomers of the Halo fandom and we've been here for so long, there's a lot of us in the vocal majority who oftentimes are like, we want it this way. And if you don't, damn you, you know, and. And then you have these, uh, but then you need, still need to make it relevant. Like, I just, I feel like if, if I could be wrong, but I feel like if 343 was like, Halo Infinite is going to be literally like combat evolved and no sprint and all this and stuff, just as basic as you remember it, but as beautiful and fun as you remember it. I feel like if those like fans who want that played it, they, I feel like the, the sort of narrative would eventually shift to uh, an aftertaste of, this is bad. Can, I don't like imagine, this from the same people who very much wanted it. Can you imagine how interesting it would be to be a developer at 343 and be amongst all your peers in this industry and say, hey, we're, we're those. I work for that team that's crafting that game for, for 30 to 40 year olds where we have a player. We have a player base that's literally like one one hundredth of all of our peers because we decided <laughs> not to evolve at all yeah. like that. And that's the that hill was, we're dying on. Yeah, that's not. I don't. I don't want to make a game for a bunch of old farts. You know, like I, I, I you want to. You know, you're passionate about that. You're developed. You want to make something that's, uh, you know, that's relevant. And I was going to say too is I think it's really. Sometimes we do it on on the podcast here just for fun, but I think it's most of the time unhealthy to to ponder the what could have been in regards to game development, movies, whatever, because at the end of the day, it's not what happened, and that's. That's okay. <laughs> and you know what? Devs ask that question every day of like what could have been when they have to compromise on features and everything. As like as immaculately delivered as a product can be, it is the product of compromise that's been sort of, you know, whittled down over many, many years of development. Uh, what what you're seeing is, you know, it's a fraction of what the devs always wanted to do, which is, of course, why they build on those things in sequels. So there's always that kind of perspective to keep in mind. And, I, you know, I think f- as far as Ryan's concerned, um, 
there's absolutely a place for the kind of game that he wanted to make. But I don't think it was the right time then for it because, uh, you know, going into this brand new studio making Halo, it probably needed to be something a bit more traditional to get those hooks in on, on people. Um, and in the future with like a spin-off, or if we do get to the point where the mainline games have really evolved their sort of formula and those things are possible, I would love to see what that kind of game would be. Yeah, yeah I don't, don't want to be a dead, I don't want to be a dead horse, but I feel like if Halo 5 was a was a spin-off only on Team Osiris, I just would have loved it. Yeah. You know, yeah. just all the way through I just would have loved the game. No, I would have too. I would have too. And I, I think doing this, I mean, it goes to show like a lot of people in myself uh, am definitely guilty of this for a while was like Halo 4 was like them going into this weird uncharted territory and it's not they're really that close to what we know and love, but then you look at the what this guy had in mind <laughs> you really get a sense of just actually how close Halo 4 is to those games, you yeah. know? So it puts that into perspective a bit, which was pretty cool to read. So next up, uh, Josh Holmes. I miss Josh being there at 343. I've always mm. liked him. Congrats to uh, him and the uh, Midwinter team. They were uh, really getting to work on Scavengers right now. Yeah, uh, their, yes. their beta just went out, Both right? beta went out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. always liked him. He did. Uh, he helped bring a lot of uh, sports titles I loved growing up, but like... Uh, mm. I think NBA Street and stuff like that, even and Def Jam and stuff. So, oh, always like I saw him. him at the Game Awards. I was like, I say this respectfully. I saw him at the Game Awards. I was like, man, his hair's getting more gray. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, I just pictured him as such a young. Always pictured him such a young dude. And I, I know he's not old, but you know, you just you can tell from his time starting at three four three to now ten years. Uh, not as much black hair. Welcome to game development. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like this. Uh, all this. This is from Halo. <laughs> yeah. Josh Holmes said, uh, "I was interested in the storytelling ambitions of what it meant to be a Spartan, and to have gone through all the experiences that Master Chief had gone through. In the relationship between him and Cortana was a point of endless fascination to me. In many ways, she's more human than he is, and he's starting to grapple with his own humanity at the exact moment when he's losing the thing that means the most to him." Those were the things to me that really spoke to me. Um, I say right now, if I had to pick any specific person that I'm uh, that I wouldn't trade for the world um, in the three four three era, I'd honestly pick Josh Holmes because of stuff mm. like this. I mean, we I don't have it um, right here in the notes, but I know we'll talk about it for sure more later. And if you want to bring it up now, Alex, feel free to. But um, in in regards to um, sort of a, his uh, situation with his mother and how that influenced a lot of stuff. Yes, but I think having Josh with the perspective that he had is something that I just, I, I never want to take for granted because of that, because that is literally what he said is so much of what I wanted for so long. Like I loved playing the bungees, uh, the bungee games, the, the bungees, but <laughs> having, I, I loved the chief in those, but I always wanted to know more about them. And you, you really only had, Cortana to sort of get what bits out of him we could. So she really kind of had more humanity in a sense. So I, I loved what he said there. What's your thoughts? Gosh, I mean, it's exactly kind of the approach that I felt that I wanted from uh, from the series, you know, for sort of all along. You get those glimpses in Halo 1, especially of, you know, how they subtly characterize him, you know, how he uh, he comforts a Marine in an escape pod, you know, puts his hand on his shoulder. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's all going to be okay. I'm probably going to crush you as we crash on this <laughs> ring, uh, and I'm flying around the escape pod in my million-pound armor. 
But uh, but wouldn't hey. that be funny if that's actually what happened and he just doesn't <laughs> just has that amnesia for that? Moment? He knows what he did. <laughs> as, they're going, as they're going down, he whispers into the Marines' ear. Actually, what I meant to say is, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's messed up. <laughs> but it is a it's a nice little moment there because if you know going back to reading the Fall of Reach, they characterize him as not liking being on like spaceships and uh you know in like an escape pod where he's got no control uh so in in that moment you know there's a sense regardless of whether you've read that book or not like he's kind of as anticipatedly kind of scared as the as the marinas in a sense and you see a lot of those little subtle cat, uh, characterizations in there Halo 2 and 3 are a bit more kind of all over the place on that front. Halo 2, he literally has 18 lines in total, and that is counting, like, boo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good fun, obviously. It's like proper sort of 80s action flick kind of stuff. But it's not particularly deep or, you know, it's memorable because it's one-liners and that sort of thing, but it's not really a character. Um, You know... uh... Oh, did I interrupt you? No, no, go for go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, um, you know, so we just draw so many comparisons to Star Wars, but it's like when I think of Halo 4 and all the new stuff it brought into the universe, uh, especially with the accompanying novels, the 400 trilogy and, and Kilo 5 and all that stuff, it very much feels to me like kind of how Star Wars fans reacted to the prequels. You know, it's like this. there's some there's some familiarity here. You got Jedis, lightsabers, all that stuff. But this this uh, this prequel era is very different than what you know of the original trilogy era, and you know at the time, and of course there's there's arguments to be made of the quality of the film impacting people's perception, but at the time it was like this is not exactly what I remember. This isn't like Empire mm. ships, and it's not, and I I don't like that. But now as time goes it's trade on, trade disputes. Like, yeah, trade disputes. Yeah. <laughs> But as time goes on, it's like people are like, "Wow, the the deep richness of the Clone War or the, the the prequel era of Star Wars. It's so rich. I would never trade it for anything. It's made this universe so much better." And in a sense, I I feel like Halo Four's already done that, but I also feel like there's so much more they could do to flesh that out. Obviously, we have the the novels and we have Halo Four. Halo Five doesn't really dwell into that stuff as much, so I, I kind of don't associate it. But like. You know, the, the amount of richness that Halo 4 and its accompanying media uh, has added to the universe with the with the Forerunners 100,000 years ago and all that stuff that we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, it's one of those things where it's like you didn't really know you wanted it or really appreciated it, but then you look back in time and you're like, wow, we, we used to not have this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually mad to look back at, you know, Star Wars and just think like, what if this was just the original trilogy? I don't think I'd like it as much if it was, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it goes to so it goes to show like you know sometimes we we think we know what we want but we don't really have an idea of that because we're only looking within the sort of core box of what we know you know and you're not seeing what's potentially available outside of that so I think having something like this be explored in the way they wanted to do it is just I'm so glad they did it like you know I don't I don't know like when they're when they're in the studio and they're like, okay, what kind of game do we want to make? And maybe they make it, let's say they throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and they see what sticks. I don't know maybe what was the first thing to stick for them, so to speak. But like that, that had to have been one of the things, the whole Cortana and chief dynamic that like was obviously like, yes, we want to do this. Yeah. This you, is- know, you see, it's a, it's a core pillar of what three, four, three is kind of all about. And, you know, Josh talks about the, uh, you know, 
being a Spartan is th that's been a recurring kind of theme in all of three four three stuff, and it's not just on a gameplay level <clears throat> where you know you're that mix of tank and fighter jet as they uh, as they put it in their in their Vidocs, but it's also on the story level as well. You know what does it mean to be a Spartan compared to you know other people in this universe, and yeah, that's exactly absolutely. what Halo Four delves into. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more, Alex? I mean, I'll make sure we uh, we cover that as we kind of get into some of the other stuff in future episodes. But can you tell us a bit about what you sent me regarding Josh Holmes and uh, his influence with Cortana and Chief and all that? Yeah, so um, Halo 4, of course, is built into sort of two kind of a, a, an A story and a B story. You've got the A story, which is we've awoken the didact. We have to stop the didact. And then that is offset by the B story, which is Cortana's dying. Uh, she is undergoing rampancy. Uh, which is uh, an AI state that's similar to uh, dementia, where an AI thinks itself to death. And um, in a GDC 2013 panel, uh, which was a post-mortem on Halo 4, talking about the campaign of the multiplayer, uh, Josh Holmes went into a lot of detail about uh, you know the sort of the design process and uh, how they really crafted this story. One particular area he talks about was uh, was telling Cortana's story, uh, which was super difficult for them because, you know, as they were going for it, you know, it was just it was just really hard to tell this very kind of emotional, personal story in a game that's ultimately about shooting aliens. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he said that Chris Schlerf, the uh, uh, the sort of the head writer on the game, was coming to him just like literally tearing his hair out, like I don't, how do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and at the time, Josh Holmes's mother was suffering from uh, dementia herself, and this was happening while he was working at Three Four Three. So he was coming to work, you know, every single day while that was happening to a loved one, a family member. Uh, and he said that you know he watched her deteriorate over the course of the the years that they spent working on Halo Four, and that is you know they're absolutely bloody tragic. But uh, what he says is that. Uh, you know, that really kind of, he turned that into something that inspired him to really want to tell this story for Cortana, to give her that closure um, and to give her that, you know, sort of that focus, which she really needed to have yeah. coming off of Halo 3, where she's just sort of off on the side, you know, go rescue the princess, all that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it was it very much informed the direction that this would be her story uh, and as we can see from the results you know there's there's a lot of kind of emotional honesty i think in there that you see from a creative who's having to engage with you know one of the worst things that you can go through in in life uh, you know that scene at the end of composer where you know cortana's talking about how they'll pay you with another AI, you know, obviously it's got, it's delivered through that kind of sci-fi lens of, you know, the lore and everything in, in there, but it's, it's got it. When you know, you know, what went into making this story, you can see just the, uh, you know, the direction from somebody who has suffered in that way. Right. And I have to imagine that kind of thing is like both incredibly difficult to sort of go into the studio and face something so similar to what you're enduring mm. outside of work, but then also cathartic in the sense that you kind of get to tackle it and, and sort of deal with it in this different way, I imagine. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, you look at the end of Halo 4, it's, it's bittersweet. It's, it's not a complete tragedy because Cortana does, 
she she effectively defeats the didact and mm -hmm. uh, she saves the chief one last time she sends him home and she kind of bows out of the story on her own terms rather than mm -hmm. you know what rampancy kind of has in store for her right yeah there's there's uh just countless um stories told both in you know or across all mediums gaming books movies shows um where the uh the creatives behind it applied their very real life circumstances um to the game and that that pays off in spades and what's unfortunate is the only example i can think off the top of my head is probably not the one i'd want to pull which is uh, Cl cliff balinski and gears of war the reason i say uh -huh. that's not the one i want to pull is because gears of war is such a are such a bro dude shooter you know what i mean like i think there is depth <laughs> i think there is real depth to it more than people give it credit for but you know i've i've watched the interviews with cliff Blisky talking about how that whole original trilogy was like uh, about him and, and his life and, and like the ending with um, Anya at Gears 3 was like him meeting his current wife now and how basically all those stories were kind of came from him very directly applying his life to it. And it's like in one hand you think, you know, uh, it seems hard to buy at first when you're like you're literally like this buffed out dude fighting these wacko <laughs> monsters from underground screaming like don't shoot my tomatoes you know well, that's actually gears four <laughs> like you almost you almost want to like you know if you're like an internet troll you almost want to troll cliff because you're like it just doesn't seem like it's there but then when you think about how how much gears of war is loved and how much humanity and soul that series does have you you can very much believe that it comes from a real place it's definitely Absolutely. something that goes to say about uh you know just the fast that you have in there i mean just all these little things you think that might be super ridiculous in a video game you know like you think about like something like doom eternal and just jumping around with metal music playing and killing aliens and maybe for somebody working on that game it meant something to them and they Absolutely. had some facet of their life implemented in there you know, so that's the thing about maybe. games is that you work on them for what, like three years or so. That's a lot of your life to put into a into a entertainment product, uh, and so naturally you sort of see those people sort of bleed into it a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's this what might gives be a really weird colored. conclusion to draw, but like uh, I've told this to Josh before. Like, so the the kind of music that I listen to is I listen to like heavy metal screaming crazy stuff makes me want to run real fast that's literally that's why that's why i'm bringing it up alex because <laughs> people every time i say that like i listen to like heavy metal like mm. screaming type stuff they go that you don't seem like the type and i said and eventually i came to the conclusion like i think the reason that i enjoy that music so much is because it's it, it gives me a lot of like um it's it's different emotion and a different kind of experience that i typically have mm. you know what i mean like i'm such a i don't want to say i'm very talkative but i'm, I'm a reserved person in the sense that i don't get angry very much i don't outlash at people i've got uh, you know like i'm calm i'm a calm person and i never really have that kind of you listen to that music and like, ah! yeah yeah <laughs> like, i never have that in my life so i feel like it's almost cathartic for me mm. to listen to that music because it, it gives me like a, a semblance of an emotion that i don't experience so maybe for Doom, I can kind of see that, you know, I, I, I know. I'm like some guy like rock climbing is like, you know, all the time we, we had we had the climbing in this. That was because of me, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, that could be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm saying more like some people, they might kind of feel some kind of sort of release to get to you know listen to metal music and fight demons and tear them apart where it's not really their well, type of. Yeah, I mean, I think type of I person think, they are from a base standpoint of when I first played like the Bunch era. Halo is when I wasn't really as invested in the lore and stuff. I was just like 
shooting aliens as this guy that everyone looks up to. I'm like, this is awesome. Sounds fun. Mm. I want to do it. You know, so I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, it's got that turn turn your brain off vibe, but then as you get into the three four three stuff, it's a lot more multifaceted. I think, which is what I, which is what I like. I mean, and, and then the forerunner stuff, which we'll get into the next episode. You definitely get to see how that what we got with 343 starts to all the more enhance what came before, you know, just to turn your brain off shooting. It's like, no, this is going to be more nuanced now too. So, uh, Kiki Wolfkill said, uh, kind of an addendum to that in a way, we had a lot of debate around how much story do you put around master chief? When does it start to take away from your sense of empowerment and living as him? And what should the ultimate fate of Cortana be? She has a limited lifespan, but she's beloved by fans. Those were two big and constant story conversations. Uh, the one, the one thing that comes to mind with this is, what do you guys think it was like in the studio trying to have that conversation? Because I feel like, as that being a big of a deal as it is, as we know it now, that had to have been met with a lot of anxiety for them, right? Like, okay, we're gonna kill Cortana, basically, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that. For them, if I wasn't in their position, I'd probably be shitting my britches, you know, waiting for people <laughs> to play this game. Just thinking, like, we feel like we did it really good how we did it, but, like, are people really going to hate this? I mean, mm-hmm. what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult decision, like, to a difficult difficult position to be in when you uh, effectively sort of broach a conversation of, I think we should kill one of the most iconic characters in games. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it reminds me of like J.J. Abrams, like the, you know, being the guy who's like, "We're gonna kill Han Solo." Yeah, you know? we're gonna get just, I was thinking the same, actually. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, you know, kind of as a, as an artist, you want to be like, you know, the story must come first. Uh, the the necessities of this narrative and what we have to say, and the stories we have to tell, we don't want to be kind of hamstrung by, oh well, they're loved, so we can't do anything bad to them. Yeah, uh, untouchable. Yeah, uh, and I <laughs> think you know it's it's about being kind of sensitive about that and how you tell that story. And I think you know, considering what we know of how they did end up telling it, you know, I think they did it beat for beat, absolutely right. Me too. Me too. I don't see in Halo Four. I should clarify. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was, was going to say it seems it's weird. I don't know if you guys will agree, but it seems like so many of the complaints people had and issues people had with Halo Four. I feel like are unwarranted, but all those complaints and issues actually do apply to Halo Five. <laughs> I can see that. You know, like like yeah. people said that Master Chief didn't seem like himself in Halo Four back in the day. I felt Negative like infinity. Felt, I don't like. I was, I was gonna say because like I feel like when I play Halo Four, that very much feels like the same Chief to me, just getting fleshed out a bit more. Yeah, and I believe everything he says; it, it comes off natural to me. Well. In Halo 5, things like Negative Infinity and the uh, the one part where you land on Genesis's lock and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Mm. You know what I mean? Those I didn't like buy into that being Chief. It, no, felt, much the it same. didn't feel natural. Mm. Yeah, so and there's that. That's one example. Um, then there's the whole, which Alex and I have been over many times, is that people said that you know Halo 4, you had to have all this reading material to make any sense of the story which is just a farce to, to both of us, I believe. Um, but for Halo 5, I think there's some real merit to that. So it's just kind of crazy how I mean, all these complaints they got prior to Halo 5 didn't really apply to Halo 4, but they ended up applying to the game after yeah. Halo 5. So people have this sort of you know idea that it's kind of, oh, well, it's both. They're both bad for that. 
Yeah. So but silly. It, it's ridiculous. Not. And I feel like I, I feel like I'm in a good position of you know, I'm still I'm almost done with the four the uh, with the first, with Cryptum with Cryptum. Cryptum. I'm almost done with Cryptum. So I mean I don't have the same, you know, experiences that Alex and Brian do. Uh, for those listening, of having known all this stuff, and all the more I can say that you know what, just having talked to Brian, uh, seen Alex's articles and, and posts, you know, over time, and just playing, replaying through the game myself, it's like, I mean, you put it in much better words, Alex, in one of the last episodes, but you said it, it you know, with some of these games, it, it it does take a little like base level of understanding of just how things work and how stories kind of like unfold mm. to really grasp this. It's not some over complex thing, you know. And if you can understand Halo Two. Where you you've got the political machinations of some yeah. sort of worm people talking in a very Shakespearean fashion to the lizard man who they're putting on trial who has to redeem himself, and then you've got a, a talking <laughs> Venus flytrap that speaks in trochaic haptameter. You can probably understand a stop the bad guy story in Halo. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I actually I've said it before. I I really stand by it. I feel like Halo Two. It's a little bit more nuanced, but I feel like Halo Two and Three is harder to understand than Four, um, because I, I see that. Josh, Josh, and our our friend Justin, who's been on here before, can both speak to the fact that uh, they. Well, I didn't know for the when I played. I think the thing is when you play the original trilogy, it's very easy to just because most gamers, it's just like, oh, you're chief and you're trying to stop the alien covenant right. race, and that's it. And then the flood come along, you're trying to stop them too. So you can break it down to brass tacks and make it seem like an easy-to-understand story. But when I first played Halo 3, I didn't understand quite everything that was going on. And then years later, I'm talking like 2012 or whatever, I'm talking to Josh and I'm talking to Justin, and I'm explaining to them exactly the story beats of Halo 3, and neither of them ever put it together. They never fully grasped, just like I hadn't either, because, you know... That's so why I think someone in my position it's can't kinda, really. It's a little convoluted. Some I don't know if that's the right word. Well, convoluted, but like. I, but I, I get what you're saying though, because I mean, it's why someone like me in my position who doesn't know as much as that expanded lore, just talking to people about it helps put it in more perspective. Like I'm saying, like I can read Alex's article. I can uh, th- that he might have on a specific aspect of Halo Four. I can talk to Brian about a specific uh, plot point or level in Halo Four, and not have any of that context be about expanded universe material and then just kind of make it, have it make sense, you know, put it, explain it in a way that makes sense to me on the base level of just what the game is itself. I have never, as a someone who grew up with the Bungie games and, and loves those Bungie experiences too, uh, I can honestly say I've never understood what was going on when I was playing through a Halo game. It took me time to really grasp because when I'm first playing through it, I'm just like, I'm having fun traversing the levels, taking in the scenery, killing the bad guys, and I'm, I'm trying to keep up mentally along the way, but Chief goes through a lot of shit. <laughs> think about this. You know how many people beat the original Halo trilogy and thought that the heretic leader from Halo 2, I can't, Sasa, is it Sasa Ruf- Sasa Ruf- yeah. Ruf- Ruf- me? Uh Sasa. People beat the trilogy, they still think he's a bad guy. <laughs> there's oh, okay. people who beat the trilogy and they only think there's one arbiter mm. there's people who there's played Halo Reach and still think George uh, that Halsey is George's mum <laughs> yeah <Wow>. see <laughs> and that Cortana <laughs> is a, a forerunner AI as well that's a big one Ooh, yeah see, the, and that's the thing is like that's where like I know that like Halo 4 gets this crap sometimes for being like hard to understand, but it's so it's kind of so simple. Like Alex says, you know, defeat the bad guy and and this and Cortana's dying, you know. But um, I think about um, in Halo 3, um, so, so many people 
And I know for list, people listening who are probably more hardcore Halo fans, maybe you don't really, kind of hard to believe this, but a lot of people didn't understand that, you know, that in Halo 3, that was a portal that opened up to the Ark, and that you went through the portal, and then that took you somewhere else in the galaxy to this other, you know, planetoid thing called the Ark that's not a Halo ring. You know, like, that was hard to put together for some people. Uh, and then the Halo ring at the end that you're on, a lot of people thought that was the Halo ring from the first game. It's a, it's a building a new one to replace that one, but... You know, all these different little things that, like, it didn't matter to the enjoyment of the experience, but they, Bungie, Bungie's not the best at telling, like, a straight story. Well, the way I, I look at it just in general with Halo is it's like, there's stuff there to explain all this and rationalize it if you want to go looking for it. Yeah. You know, if you don't, you just want to play through and kill aliens, you can do that, no problem. So I don't think Halo 4 really deserves that argument of... This is some complex, convoluted thing. Oh, I got to go read the books. I mean, I, I used to feel that way, and I, I was wrong about that. Of course, Halo 5, it's like, who the hell is this guy in Team Osiris? That's a story altogether. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got three more uh, quotes uh, I want to go through uh, before we kind of wrap this up. Frank O'Connor said, Halo 4 is funny because over the years, its reception has got better as people have become used to its in- intricacies and nuance. Uh, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> but we saw a lot of outright rejection of some of its multiplayer stuff, which we fixed in content updates after the fact. I think the number one thing that we lost in the multiplayer, but we know now and kind of knew then, is symmetry. We had some asymmetrical game types, and that was the thing the people who didn't like it focused on most, that it wasn't that simple 4x4 four four symmetry. So briefly, just to kind of talk about the multiplayer uh, and its kind of legacy uh, what was it like for you guys before this game came out and you got the controller in your hands and you're about to play it? I mean, what you're seeing from the multiplayer, was this something that had you guys really excited in terms of what you had come to know? Or was it just more of the same for the most part and you guys were just excited? I mean, how did you guys feel about it? For me, like, uh, you know, people know me as a as the hardcore kind of story person. But, uh, right. you know, during the Halo 2, Halo 3 era, I was very much in on the multiplayer as well. It wasn't really until Reach that I kind of phased that out a bit. Uh, I never hit 50 in Halo 3, unfortunately. Uh, never <laughs> I did got I. To, I got to level 35 and I thought, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of Reach. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I've got a lot more into the sort of like more social kind of playlist, big team battle, all that stuff. Just to have a good time, just that. to enjoy playing. Um, so when, you know, Halo 4 came out, I did have certain things that I wanted. I didn't want armor abilities at all. I really did not like those from Reach. I wanted equipment back, which I'm very happy that Infinite is bringing back, of course. Me too. Um, the sort of equal starts and everything. And, um, you know, Halo 4 had loadouts and stuff. So on a kind of sensibility level, it was kind of like, you know, uh, this isn't really what I want. But when I was playing it, you know, I enjoyed it a lot. The uh, the base gunplay in, in Halo 4, you know, just that, that raw kind of gameplay without any of the extra abilities on top is really good. It, uh, you know, I've been playing on PC a lot again recently and it holds up, holds up really well. They uh, foreground Legendary Slayer a lot more on PC, which is good. That's where they remove all the armor abilities from um, the play. So the only extra ability you have is Sprint. And, uh, you know, the maps are really good. I think the maps are super underrated from 4. The gunplay is really tight. The weapons are really well designed. Uh, you know, even though the Promethean ones aren't quite as sort of out there as people want. Um, you know, they, they're using a light rifle or a scatter shot, you know, is never going to not feel good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So overall, you know, my experience with 4's multiplayer is, you know, I played it through to completion. I got the... Um, 
I did all of the sort of like specializations and everything. I just oh, yeah. had a really good fun time with it. That's good to hear. That is good to hear. Yeah, at the same time, you know, while it not being exactly what I wanted, it was different from Reach in that aspect because I didn't enjoy Reach's multiplayer at all. And I still honestly don't. Whenever I played it on MCC, I'm like, oh, I wish I was playing a different sort of, you know, different oh, yeah, fair enough. game. Yeah. Yeah, I I come from a different perspective because I, you know, I have zero, I don't have a single competitive bone in my body. I'm very much such a casual multiplayer person. So I just had a very narrow uh, train of thought approaching those things. When I, you know, I played Halo, Halo 2 was my first Halo game and I played Halo 2's multiplayer, loved it. I went back and played Halo 1's multiplayer, loved it. I really, when you had your first LAN party, what was your, what was that name somebody had? What was that? Uh... You mean farting Jesus? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I my first land party, my first land party. I went as a, I named my character farting Jesus. I was nice. very immature, <laughs> and then, and then the other guy across from me named his nice. named his character suck a chicken daddy leg. Uh, so, isn't there something anyways, about uh, using the Lord's name in vain, there, Brian? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what. Uh, <laughs> I look back at that and I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? Um, but, uh, man, maybe lose my train of thought. I'm sorry, Brian. Funny. No, but anyways, uh, so I, when I got Halo 3, like, it felt like a downgrade in multiplayer to me from 2, just as a personal preference. It felt oh, wow. slower and, and not as good. Uh, so I, I really, I, I was upset by 3's multiplayer a bit. Still thought it was great, you know, ultimately. And then... Um, I really loved, I loved, I liked Reach's multiplayer more, mm-hmm. and then I liked Halo 4's even more than that, uh, because I was just a very casual player, you know, I didn't care about um, even being even or, or completely competitively fair or whatever, so um, it wasn't, it's kind of as, you know, I got older and, you know, have, have decided to, to break these things down more and be analytical, that I've kind of took taken these objective opinions and these subjective ones, you know, ob- objectively, I think uh, Reach and 4 are probably some of the bottom tier uh, multiplayer experiences but for me the least enjoyable well the least enjoyable multiplayer for me is actually one just because it's aged you know yes. so much that, not because uh, the there's anything wrong system is uh, it leaves a lot to be desired yeah, but yeah they, it's they just duct taped that together in the last two weeks of development it's amazing that halo one had a multiplayer at all yeah yeah i've, I've heard the story many times and, and it uh it, to, to more to I know some people will think this is heresy, but to me, like Halo One's multiplayer—it's just a novelty at this point. Just something fun to go look back at. I don't really, you know, want to spend five hours by playing. Walk and dine. It never gets right. Yeah. <laughs> no sarcasm either. I think it's uh, hilarious. But uh, so for me, other than Halo One, my least favorite multiplayer is actually Three, which I know is heresy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it all. I, I'd say the uh, my favorite Halo Two's multiplayer, and I would say if I'm being objective, I think Halo Five uh, truly has the best personally yeah i mean i i'll always love halo 3's multiplayer because uh halo 2 for some reason it, I, I don't know if it was just me aging or something or what but i loved halo 2's multiplayer but when i played it online i just got smashed i was destroyed <laughs> all the time for the record i have not played halo 3's multiplayer with the field of view changed that might change my whole perspective that is, yeah go. that's a big change in perspective for me uh, I want I want to play the campaign with it, but I need to, yeah, I need to get on that. Because uh, I sort of went off Halo 3's multiplayer a little while back because, you know, it did feel very slow and very sluggish and uh, yeah, I just wasn't as into it. But when they 
made that change and just the difference it makes in how fast it makes the game feel i was i was just straight back in it was like i was back in 2007 2008 to hear that. i feel that way with i played like i said i only played the campaign so far but i'm like this changes the whole game field of view 120 yeah that's awesome to hear um josh holmes said every day was pretty much a 16 hour day meeting with all the different teams to assess and evaluate progress across the entire experience give notes give feedback give direction and then constantly play every mission, every multiplayer level that I could. Wow, had that had to have been tough for them. 16-hour days. I'm worthless left. long before 16 hours, so I don't understand <laughs> how they made this game good. You know. and just, that, I mean, yeah, that's some of the worst like, crunch I think I've heard. Yeah, gosh, I mean, what do you do? You, do you just sleep in the office or out in the car? Like, what? Mm, I mean, might as well. Just, yeah, I mean, what's the point of going home at that point? Yet it's like you, you got loved ones and stuff. Because I doubt they had a full weekend off if they're doing 16 today. Yeah. You know, I always hear, well, you. I think I think Paul Bertone mentioned it. I don't know. Somebody mentioned it back, I think, in one of the, the earlier things. But uh, when some of them did Halo 2, I mean, like relationships and, and marriages and stuff were kind of like affected mm-hmm. by this. And that's not something you really hear about. But I feel like that probably happens more often than we know of considering what these people have to go through and it's and it just for me it kind of puts in perspective like how ridiculously entitled as gamers we can sometimes be to think Mm -hmm. like we hate this like we jump on we jump on the the shader controversy and people just right away just based on the most minuscule information about it are like this is terrible this game is just man it's just validating how shit this game is gonna be and everything and then you think about someone who probably worked so hard on that and maybe even could have potentially went through something themselves for themselves to deliver this game (laughs) yeah yeah, this this is this is probably like I could be taking us down a rough rabbit trail, but I feel like it's a really good conversation to kind of touch on. Is there's there's always there's always two two sides two ways to look at, at these these conflicts, and I'm gonna give a comparison. So you get a lot of people that say, you know, um, this terrible crunch in the game industry needs to end. And of course, I I, I believe that you know it's the health of employees is way more important and it's ridiculous. But then you also have the people that go, well. Um, you know, the last 20 years of games or however, or the entire industry or whatever, it's been this way, you know, like Halo, you know, like we're talking about Halo 4, uh, eight, 10 years ago, having this kind of crunch, the same way we're talking about Cyberpunk. So some people will dismiss that it's an issue by saying that it's everyone always does been it. this way. We've always, always done it way. like this. <laughs> and it reminds me of a conversation I have with my wife all the time, which is um, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. She got big as an actress from Game of Thrones. And she later said on record, uh, paraphrasing that she didn't she didn't want to do she didn't want to be nude in, mm. in films or movies or shows. She didn't want to do that, and she didn't really particularly want to do it to begin with. But she knew that it would limit her scope of availability to be in uh, show and have a success as an actress. So she so she did it. And there's once again, it's the same kind of argument. You know, my wife says it's such a shame that we are in an industry where if a woman's not willing to be naked or do something like that, she's going to have less opportunity. And then there's me, and I agree with my wife for the record. Then there's me that's also like, okay, but she also does have the the choice to not do it if it if it bothers her that much. So it's like it's like it's kind of like, like I feel like we're in both cases with Amelia Clark and with game industry, both things are true, but. Like, how do we solve the problem? You know it's what I mean? a systemic there is a real problem, problem. You know, at, at yeah. the root of things, you know, where you, your body, your life is exploited for an entertainment product at the end of the day. 
And it's just a really horrific situation that a lot of people are are in, especially, you know, know, in the case of Amelia Clark, you know, women, especially and people of color who just don't, they don't get those same opportunities and then they have to give so much more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I I agree. It's like when they do kind of get that opportunity, they have to really go through the shitter just to even get what so many other people just have on a base level. I've worked 16 hour days, you know, when I was in teaching and it's not, I wouldn't wish that on anybody (laughs) at all. I, I just don't see how the productivity can be that that great. No, because you know you burn through people like nothing else when you've got that kind of setup, and it's uh, it's horrible. It's why I, it's why I crashed out of teaching because it was like you know I was in a sort of uh, I was on a course which I wasn't agreeing with me at all, and uh, was like plunging into my bank account for money so that I had to pay in order to you know to teach essentially i wasn't getting paid for my labor i was having to pay to do the labor which is just insane and uh, about a month into that i thought no this is this is going to destroy me and i went out yeah very very That's early awesome upon able talking with you alex I, I could tell how much happier you were to not be <laughs> yes. doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah it says something too about i think the fact like he mentions having played like every mission you know constantly and every multiplayer bit he could constantly and i'm thinking like man i know that they do that stuff with everything but man does that gotta suck in a way too you know like yeah you don't want to end up hating the thing that you're making but that's yeah. a surefire way to make uh, to make you do it <laughs> right because you i mean you're in the position of you're in the trenches working on this product and maybe at first it's like you're excited but the more you work on it, the more your your vision gets skewed because you're so immersed in it. Mm. You can't see outside of the box of having to play this over and over. So maybe you're eventually like, oh, I got to play through this today. Or, oh, we got to play. We got to. We're just playing like eight hours of Haven map today. Oh, I do not want to. I'm sick of this, you know. And then you can't see outside of it. So I, I think that's all the more why it's, it's definitely good to get, get it in. It reminds the me of QA testers Ooh. when they, they think, you know, that people say, oh, you just get to play video games, have fun, make money. <laughs> not like, true at all. I spent all day uh, running backwards into a tree trying to see if it'll glitch. Yeah, so <laughs> I was uh, QAing a game when I first started. Uh, I was very lucky with my QA experience. I got I got put on a good game, good project. But there was this one particular glitch on a sort of, on a sort of level in the middle of the game where we didn't have it set up so that you could skip checkpoints. So you had to play to the middle of that bit every single time to test this one specific bug on a puzzle, uh, you know, to to ensure that uh, every time you tried to reproduce it, about a dozen times over that it worked. So it just took hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And you can see exactly why people are just like, oh God, (laughs) this is too much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, how many how many quotes do we have? I was going to say the last one. I, I we're actually nice. on the last one, and this one there's a lot to say about this one. So what we're going to do for those listening is I'm going to read off this for a minute or two. Uh, I'm going to pick their brains, and then we're just going to have some closing thoughts and get out of here. But uh, this is Jamie Grizzemir, so he has a lot to say, which I, mm-hmm. I found very interesting. He said, "I'm friendly with a lot of the designers at 343, and it's funny because while they want to make Halo their own." They also really want approval from the people that worked on the original. They want to be true to what they think of as Halo from the outside, from having played it when they were in college or whatever, but they also want to know, what was the philosophy behind X? I always encourage these guys that, look, the philosophy behind using X was that I just liked it better than the other options. There isn't this magic secret formula. You just do the best you can and make it a game that excites and interests you. Don't look back. Don't try to recapture the first Halo. It can't be done. That was a moment in time as much as it was a game. I think with Halo 4, they were not confident enough and played it too safe and were very much looking backward. 
but from what I played of Halo 5, they picked a direction and they went for it. Halo 5 is definitely a better game because of that, and I think <laughs> it's a more modern game too because they weren't self-referential. Last thing he says is, they were trying to figure out the secret solution and trying to dissect Halo, and that leads to where you find those new Star Trek movies. I thought the first one was pretty good because they said, let's make it as different as possible. But with the second one, they were like, let's try to recreate as many of the moments from the previous ones as possible. And it's like, no. If the only way I enjoy this is as a reference to something that's better, that doesn't work. You can't enjoy the reference as much as you enjoy the original. I felt like Halo 4 was pale imitation of previous Halos. With Halo 5, at least it's something new. But man, I wouldn't know what to do with the series now. If you said to me, you're the creative director of Halo 6, what do you do? I would have no idea. You can't win. It's an unwinnable situation. There is a lot to pull from there, so I'll kick it off with you, uh, with Brian. What are your thoughts on just some of that? I know it's a lot to cover. Man, well, he touches on like an issue that plagues all of media constantly, and we're seeing it all the time, is do you lean into all the familiar things and all the references, or do you try to do something new? And both cause so much backlash. Once again, first thing I'll bring up, Star Wars. You know, you had... You know, the prequels doing something so different, getting so much hate for years. So Force Awakens was strategically designed to be exactly everything the prequels are not and be everything the originals were. The Star Wars you know and love. To the point where Force Awakens, even that is my personal favorite Star Wars film. And to me, it's it's very much just, you know, they copied A New Hope. That's what it is. I mean, that's, that's a fact, pretty much. And then you get to Last Jedi, which is so different and, and trying to do so, so many new things and... and and just make you think, um, and it just got. I mean, I've more the most on, hate, sure, to say the, the most hate I've seen for anything in my. Yeah. I feel like in my lifetime, um, and then because of all that, so you get so at the point of like Last Jedi being over with, you have this crowd that's going, Last Jedi was awful. I hate it. It's nothing I wanted, and then you have another crowd, probably smaller to be honest, that were saying, I at least it wasn't Force Awakens. I've already seen that movie. It's called A New Hope. And then, was that remind me of that dumbatric quote? We have a, we have a yeah, council for that. It's called Xbox just, 360. Rather than just do um, something original, and I, I'm somebody who likes the Rise of Skywalker, but rather than do something original, it very much seems like they were influenced by. I don't even think it seems like it's a fact, right? I mean, <laughs> the, the 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 hatred towards Last Jedi influenced what Rise of Skywalker. There are some ended up bits being. which feel like a sort of checkbox of like the remake for the sure. Last Jedi kind of petition for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so it feels like, and this is despite me being someone who likes all three films, it's like Rise of Skywalker constantly seems like it's trying to uh, change a bit of what Last Jedi did and redirect and make it familiar and make it, you know, just the, the references and the things you love. And, you know, ultimately, you know, like there's no there's no clear... It's not it's not one through line vision. It's not a let's if it was just if all three movies were just like The Force Awakens was A New Hope and then Last Jedi was Empire and then you know Return of the Jedi last that was with the Rise of Skywalker, you know, I'm not saying that'd be a good idea, but at least it would be okay, you just you just simply soft rebooted the original trilogy. Well, I was going to say or if all three were like The Last Jedi, something completely new and exciting, but they kind of didn't do either and you, you have prequels. all these Yeah, yeah, like the prequel. So you know, it's just like w when Jamie Grissomir is talking about, you know, Halo 4, they didn't change up enough. Halo 5, they definitely did their own thing. I don't know where I'd take Halo 6. That's kind of the same situation they were in with Star Wars. It's like, do you do you continue to do more crazy stuff that's new? 
but it's really interesting, but you might piss off a lot of people, or just do the same thing all over again. I don't know the answer. So, what do you think, Alex? What's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it's it's an impossible question because you're only answering it when you're making it. When you're in the trenches, in the midst of like actually having to, you know, you've got a gun to your head saying, right, okay, off you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to kind of structurally approach when you know kind of the realities of production that uh, are going to change, you know, things on a dime. But uh, I, I really don't find myself agreeing with the idea that uh, four is like, you know, as a pale imitation of the original trilogy or anything. I don't either. I don't either. I should have said that. I, I don't. Uh, I don't see it. You know, when I when I when I go back through it, I see it using some things from the originals, but giving them additional kind of coloring and context. Uh, you know, on, on so many different levels, which makes it you know. On the one hand, there's a there's a bit of a love letter going on to you know certain ideas from the past, but to say it doesn't offer anything kind of new or divergent for the series, you know, as much as we've talked about three four three sort of wanting a more kind of traditional experience, you know, the the point of comparison from what Ryan Payton was talking about is so far in the other direction, like even further beyond Halo Five, right? So it, it's kind of a tricky one because I just you know. I just don't find myself kind of agreeing with any of that. Yeah, I was going to say, as I was, especially when I got to the Halo 5 part and he's talking about how, what did he say specifically? He said, Halo 5 is definitely a better game because of that. I think it's a more modern game and they weren't self-referential. I never quite got the vibe that Halo 4 was too self-referential. I mean, no, I, I don't I know. I don't think so either. No. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, love I Halo 5's like that. multiplayer and gameplay, but I mean... I do, th I do think 5, in some sense, looks like it... it, it it's kind of hard to say. I don't know if you'll agree, Alex. It kind of seems like 5 does have a more clear vision kind of as far as like like just the kind of the, the gameplay and design. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they actually had time to build on their own sort of vision for the game rather than essentially, you know, doing Reach 2.0 essentially, which is what 4's gameplay largely is. Yeah. I will say the thing I do agree with him though is that like there is no sort of like particular dna as to what is going to make the, like there's no recipe as to how to make a successful halo game or like yeah you that, know we talk about stuff like the 30 it. seconds of fun and that but it's like okay what is that how do you make yeah that? what's the <laughs> yeah, kind of exactly. systemic structure of 30 seconds of fun how can you break that down you really can't <laughs> no it's just like uh, yeah it's as and when i actually feel like personally for me the only one that and I love, you know, I still love Halo Five, despite of the story. But I feel like it's the only one that kind of, kind of chopped up that thirty seconds of fun. To me, it almost feels like quickly, quick, quick intermittent ten seconds of fun or something. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah. like I've, I've, I've said, I've said it many times. I want to be on my soapbox, but it's like so many of the environments in Halo Five is just like here's this giant area with all these things to shoot at, have fun. So yeah, I, yeah, I am having fun, but it's kind of just like. Uh, Shooting over here and get a few kills—that's fun. And then kind of well, not to mention the revive here. system, who's like structure. pulling you out of it, you know? Yeah, you there's not. I never feel like you know. Just picture like the the original Halo, the mission Halo, the second mission where you cross over that little kind of bridge and you go up and in the trees you kind of have like you know the grunts and then the elite and like the way they kind of come at you. It's like here's this encounter we've built for you, mm. and it plays out in this very fun 30 seconds of fun type way and that continues as you go down and, and the dropships come but then with halo 5 it's like i think of the mission meridian when i come through those those big doors and i go out to this this open area and it's just like okay here's all these enemies everywhere have fun yeah. and it is fun but i don't think it's done as well as you know prior halo yeah i would agree 
Uh, and of course, we're kind of answering the question now as sort of like breaking down sort of, you know, things like the 30 seconds of fun and that. I do feel that a lot of it is down to those curated encounters. You know, it's the it's the rocket flood form, you know, at the end of the corridor who fires that, you know, that shot directly at you, catches you off guard. But then, you know, on the next on the next go around, you're ready for him. You're going to shoot him down. Yeah before he fires off that rocket it's it's as you say it's in the first mission sorry the second mission halo one where uh you know you come over the hill the ship has landed in the background and then uh you know the the elite and a couple of grunts come at you and you're just sort of getting into the swing of this more kind of open combat it's in halo 4 where you're first introduced to the crawlers you know skittering down the wall uh yeah. you sort of learn their their capabilities is when the night jumps on you um it's these curated encounters rather than just here's all these enemies on screen go shoot them yeah and it's it's weird how like uh the the curated experiences they they make me feel like there's more enemies than there is, there are because mm. when I, when i play when i play halo combat you know halo 1 um and i get to that first mission or the second mission halo by the time i get to warthog i kind of i kind of internally feel like i've killed like 100 plus guys yeah absolutely but really, I killed, I don't know, five to eight groups of like four. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's all I've killed. Yeah. But it's just the experiences are so well done. And the, and the way that you have like your different classes of enemy with, you know, the grunts quickly, easy to take out. You know, jackals, you know, have the shield. You got to work around. The elites take longer to take down. Mm. Like just the way that those curated encounters play out, you know, I spend a decent amount of time fighting them. Correct. And it's varied enough. And the, the way that the encounters drop specific areas, it just feels like, you know, it kind of feels like I'm going to war with an army, yeah, but it's really not that many. Yeah, so it's just know? a couple of guys that you're shooting at. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think too, it's like, I mean, I've definitely always been at the frame of mind that I'd rather, you know, studios, movies, whatever, take that chance of going into uncharted territory because that's how you sort of foster new nostalgia, right? Like you... Mm. You know, rather than sort of trying to milk what we already know is nostalgia. I mean, the whole point of nostalgia is, you know, sort of uh, short and sweet. You know, having that small dose of it. Dose of it. It's yeah. like the, the that smell of cookies you remember having as a kid that your mom would make or something like that. It's just something. It's it's a euphoric, temporary sense of of, of feeling. And um, I I'm always more excited for those things because I think of everything that makes me nostalgic, and I think, wow, I want to still have those into adulthood. But then when we're when you're sort of stuck in this pattern of, you know, this linear pattern of, okay, how can we still continue this stuff? Because it's kind of, we, we know this is something that's going to be easier to uh, be successful and it's less of a risk factor. And we know it's going to yield some success. People are going to buy it. If this is a, a sequel or this is a sort of reboot, people are going to buy in on, you know, seeing this continuation of something they love or seeing this, you know, reformatted version of something they've come attached to. And I mean, I get the appeal to that. I definitely, I mean, there's plenty of things within that fold that I love, but I definitely feel more akin to, I, I mean, I always felt like Halo 4 did take that chance. I mean, as we see kind of with Ryan's perspective, it's like, it was very much different uh, than even the vision he had, but I always felt like Halo did a great job, or Halo 4 did a great job with that because it wasn't, Yes, I mean, I, I do miss the bungee charm in terms of the, the sense of humor they had going on in that. But this told a much more intimate story that it needed to, I think, because you're literally going into... You, you had an open and shut kind of story, and then you literally are saying, how do you want to wake this guy up? Mm. Well, that's all also you know so symbolic of the direction you could take it. And here's what we've done. Here's what Bungie's done. Let's try to do something a little bit different. And they finally told... 
you know, they, they gave Cheap a sense of humanity without managing to sort of take the helmet off, you know, foregoing the, the legendary, you know, little brief snippet you see of his eyes, but, like, they managed to do that, and they managed to, to make you care even more for Cortana. And yeah, just and that's something care I just Cheap. don't think that Bungie would ever have done in their games. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, yeah. what do you think, Brian? Yeah, it's, uh, f- f- Halo 4, it it adds it adds to the package that is the Halo franchise in a in a big way. Now, obviously, five does in its own ways too. But um, you know, four when f- four just feels like here's here's some things you wouldn't have got from Bungie. Here's some things that you wouldn't have saw. Here's this gift to it. You know what I mean? And then yeah. and then with Halo Five, it's a lot more conflicting. But I just you know, I, I, and I I said I don't want to be. I don't really think it's healthy to do the whole what could have been thing. But if we had just, they went with their original plan and we just had the Reclaimer trilogy and Halo 4, 5, and 6 all were more or less the same type of, you know, quality and narrative, same type of, you know, really based in that kind of forerunner, uh, you know, lore, Reclaimer stuff. Um, that I, I think if, it, if we got the quality of 4 just two more times, <laughs> that would have just been amazing. Yeah. You know, that, that, that trilogy could have... Um, very much contested the original. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I, I look at, I look at almost. Uh, I'm rewatching the Harry Potter films, and I look at it almost as like the first four Harry Potter films, where you have Halo one through three, and when you get to three, sort of like Azkaban, you know, the first two kind of have this charm, and it's like even though the, the there's a sense of seriousness and gravity going on in the world, it's it's fun, and you 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 know things are going to be okay somehow. They're going to work out. And then Alfonso and you get to, comes in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> And then three starts to kind of take it in that like Azkaban starts to take it into somewhat of a darker tone, mm. but then you get to Goblet of Fire and just like Halo Four, it's like by the end of Halo or I'm sorry by the end of Goblet of Fire, I, I forget was it Cedric, you know Robert yeah. Pattinson, Diggory. he dies, and it, at that point you're shook and you're like holy shit, like if you're not someone who read the books beforehand, you're like, what is like wow this is not the Harry Potter I'm used to, like I'm invested, I'm in, still in it. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's just, holy shit, I didn't expect it to get this way. And then you think about Halo 4 and you think, you know, uh, the situation Cortana, and suddenly it feels very real that she could die. I mean, I, I remember in Halo 3, I thought, are they going to kill her? But then you you go, you jump into Halo 4 and you're like, oh shit, she might actually die. That's what I've been seeing with a lot of the new people playing uh, playing Halo 4 on you know, YouTube and stuff. And they're, they're, mm-hmm. I've seen every single one of them say, like, she might actually get killed off in this game you know pe- people who have no no idea sort of what's going to happen and uh, they they genuinely buy into it and i think that uh, speaks a lot to sort of how well they sold this this story i agree yeah i remember going to work right after like playing through halo 4 straight without stopping and i was like man i think they might kill her they might kill her and they they kill her and the, that final scene is just it's it's done so well that when I finish the game, there's this like, this is like, oh man, she, oh, she's gone. Like, oh, but it was done so well. Yeah, it's it like you're so, so well. sad, but you're like, you're not upset at the same time. You're not upset over the fact that it happened. It's just the fact that it's, it's like, it's like the execution was done really well, but you're just mm. heartbroken that it happened. You know? What I, I mean? mean, that's why it was done well because I was heartbroken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? so. so, I mean, I it, and at that point too, you get to the end of Halo Four, and it's like, man, where are they going to take this next? Because we see a chief that's kind of uh, broken, or you know, or sense staring of, out at Earth, and it's like, you know, what is going to happen next for him? There's no like, there's no sequel hook for for what he's doing. Right. Next. There, there was a selfish part. Like I, ulti- I did think when I finished four, I was like, okay, this is a perfect end for Cortana. She shouldn't come back. But there's this little selfish part of me that wants her to. I was the same way. I so then, that. you know, 
And, you know, we're not not going to go into that. And that's for another podcast. But, you know, they, they chose to bring her back. And, and it, you know, there's obviously arguments that could be made that they could have brought her back in a better way. But I, I think, man, when you when you take her out in such a perfect manner like you did and and for it really kind of think that was the place to leave her. Just to know? briefly touch on that, you know, when when she she and her copies are fighting the didact at the very end, a lot, some people haven't noticed this, but there's very pointedly a shot of you know her tying him down like with his arms and that and then there's two copies left one is circling around his head and the other sort of like bends him back and then the other one jumps into his head so if you wanted to kind of have a way to keep her around that was it (laughs) she one of her copies has entered his helmet and you know is now part of him and then of course he falls Mm -hmm. into slip space so he's gone uh, he's gone somewhere else. Ah, interesting. That's very interesting. Well, I've, and I don't know if this is something you would care for at all, Alex, but like I've mentioned before, a long time ago on the podcast, that I, I wouldn't mind that in Infinite, whenever they naturally get to the story of, of just talking more about Cortana, I, I would very much be okay with them, you know, making it canon that like that version of Cortana really did die in four and that. The one we have, and the one we have from five, it's like it's not that it's not her; it's just that it's like the rampant part of her. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a, Does that sound too fan fictiony to you? It's an impossible situation that yeah. sort of three four three worked themselves into, and uh, I just hope that they'll be able to do that part of the story justice, or at least, if not justice, then the best version of kind of what it can be. Hmm. Yeah. No, Fair enough. Uh, but closing thoughts before we get out of here, guys, we have this is uh, it for our first arc for those listening of us covering uh, the sort of passing of the torch of the mantle. Um, we've kind of seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of what that was like. Um, what What's your guys's closing thoughts on that? I mean, just in terms of where things were at for the time. I mean, it it was really exciting. I know for fans. Right. But I mean. There was some uh, obviously like skepticism, and and as you can see behind the scenes, it was there. You had sort of like Marty O'Donnell, who was like, you know, you had people like Frank O'Connor going over, and he was just like, it's supposed to be about the guys all sticking together. You had a you had a lot of uh, uh, different things. I think it was on. such a I think it was such a tumultuous time. The fact that it turned out as good as it did with everything against them, I think it's just. I mean, I, I think it's just a testament to uh, talented individuals aiming at the most quality they could and you know like alex already said every game is a million compromises Um, so the fact that a new studio forming itself while making this game their compromise was halo 4 i mean there is a there is there's amount of luck in things but this is a lot of raw talent kicking ass yeah yeah you know it speaks to the clarity of vision that i think that they had as a team and that they had that you know as all these people have come from across the industry never worked together before and yet delivered this is kind of amazing to me i just think like when you know all that background stuff and you see the kind of finished product you can't help but appreciate it all the more for it i know i when i'm when i was going through seeing all the different panels they've done and the, the vid docs and they put out i'm thinking like man these guys not only came in here and they're working on continuing this franchise like they're building a game from the ground up being a team that hasn't been around making like this is the first fully fledged title that they've ever made together. Mm. And on top of it, they're doing all these additional things like Spartan ops and you were getting forward under dawn and you're getting like new, all these new, just different new facets to the multiplayer even and, and whatnot. And 
then you look at just how they were with their vid docs and everything felt very much like even though it's it's delivered in a very three four three way it very much had that sense of we're gonna you know we're gonna try to continue this as best we can like their plate was loaded and they mm. like they delivered so much I, I really do i'm i'm happy with it so i couldn't be happier all right, guys. Well, that is it for another episode of the uh, Haruspis Retrospective here. And on the next episode, Josh, I believe we're going to be talking about the Forerunner novels and the Kilo 5 yes. trilogy and stuff and how that tied into Halo Greg 4. Greg Bear will be joining us as guest star in spirit. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to say, basically the next episode, we will hit record and just let Alex talk for 90 minutes. It sounds good to me, man. I want to hear what he has to say on that. But, so I'm very all right, guys. For thank you so much for, for joining us. And we will see you on the next episode of the Sacred Icon podcast. And as always, keep it sacred.